0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you're joining us, whether it's online or here in person. Probably the most people we've had are here in person in six months. mind boggling hard to believe. We're in a series about when pigs fly. The question was, do you believe in miracles? I pray, I hope that you do. Uh, today's topic is miracles of provision. And you can go back and watch the the other three that we've already covered. <clears throat> As it's already been stated, especially if you're at home. Uh, At the end of when I get finished speaking, uh, please don't leave. Uh, It's always exciting when we have uh, people to baptize. And Claudia, who just led us in worship, will be one of those who will be baptized this morning. So when we think about God's provision, most of us, the first thing we think about is money and stuff money can buy. I need stuff. I need food, clothing, housing, transportation, all that stuff. And most of us, in fact, the majority of Americans, according to statistics, live paycheck to paycheck. That means... Uh, If they miss a paycheck, they're in trouble. Uh, We believe you shouldn't live that way, and we've got a class that you can take, but most Americans live that way. So money is always tight, and especially if you're like your single mom, single parents, they really struggle often with getting enough money to provide for their kids and and themselves and and those basic needs of life. So that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Some of you may be in that situation now. I'm sure all of us have felt that way at some time. And as we look at the Bible, um, we're going to look at lots, well, there's lots, but we're going to look at a couple of uh, people, characters, that feared they didn't have enough, uh, different situations where God provided. And we said it, we're going to say it this way, in every story of need in the Bible, there's a story of provision. Jesus one time was teaching, was teaching all day long, he got to be late, people were getting hungry, and uh, the Bible says there's 5,000 men plus women and children, so 15, 20,000 people are there. <laughs> and Jesus says to his disciples, hey, you need to feed these folks. And they're looking at each other, how in the world are we going to feed 20,000 people? And Jesus basically told them to relax, He said, what do you have? And he said, well, there's a boy here with a couple of uh, loaves of bread and a, two fish and uh, that's all we got, Jesus. He said, okay. <laughs> and he feeds, feeds all of them. Now, notice, he fed them once. He didn't continually feed them, you know, for days and weeks and months and years. But he did provide for their need that day. There's a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Elisha. And he comes across this single mom and her son, and they're out of food. All they have is some olive oil. And he asks him, well, what do you have? And she says, well, this little jar of olive oil. He says, okay, collect all the jars you can from your neighbors. And he collected, collected, she collected a bunch of jars, and he said, okay. And he started pouring olive oil out of the original jar into the other jars until all the jars were full. He said, you got any more? She said, no. And, and the olive oil stopped, stopped flowing. And he said, sell the olive oil, and then you'll be able to buy food for your family. Uh, sometimes God just does it himself. Um, Jonah gets thrown over boat out of the boat over into the ocean uh, or sea, and God provides a fish fits him up on the, on, on, onto the land. I love the story of this lady who was a single mom, and she was uh, struggling usually to, to make ends meet, but she was a strong believer. She really believed God would take care of her, and she would pray out loud. She would pray, Thank you, God, for providing this, or thank you, God, for providing that. And she had a, her, her nearby neighbor was an atheist. In fact, he hated God. He didn't believe God exists, and he just kind of drove him crazy. So one day he had this idea, I'm going to play a trick on on this lady, so he said, I'm going to go to the grocery store, buy three bags of groceries. I'm going to leave her on the front porch, and she's going to think God provided it. And I'm going to be able to tell her, no, he didn't. So that's exactly what he does. He stands there and waits till so she comes home. She sees the groceries. She says, Thank you, God, for providing these. And he jumps out and says, No, that wasn't God. That was me. God doesn't exist. And she said, Oh, thank you, God, that you provided me groceries, and he let the devil pay for them. <laughs> So, God can and will provide. So, we're going to look at a a basic text, just one verse um, in Philippians. And uh, Paul's writing this near the end of his career as a missionary, and he had some ups and downs if you know his story. But here's his, his claim, and this is a promise to us. He said, my God, hopefully your God, will, notice the word, liberally supply. So, he doesn't just, you know, Just a tiny bit, just keep you going. He liberally supplies. That word technically means fill until full. So you ever been pouring something for somebody and you say, tell me when to stop? And they say, fill it up. Well, that's that's what God does. He fills it up. Every need, not just some or one, every need. Why? Well, it's according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which he, he owns the universe. So he never runs out. You can keep pouring, and it's never going to run out. Another translation says it this way. <clears throat> I am convinced. I like that word, convinced. Are you convinced that God supplies all your needs? Uh, Paul was convinced that my God will fully satisfy every need. To so satisfaction, a lot of us complain, don't we? Uh, he said, no, no, no. I, and he had some rough, rough experiences. Satisfy every need. For I have seen, he's seen it the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. So he's seen God do it over and over, and he's getting the end of it near later years of his life, and he said, I know, I'm convinced. I've seen it over and over and over. I've seen it. Many of you also have seen it. <clears throat> um, we're not seeing the next slides again, folks. Something's messed up with our, our screen here. So you're going to pull the next slide up. <clears throat> so God promises to meet your needs. Now, here's the, the caveat, I guess you would say. Not your wants. Needs and wants are a lot different. You need clothing to wear. You don't need, I don't know, designer clothing labels anymore. <laughs> but you don't need designer clothes. You need clothes. Uh, you don't need a five, ten thousand 10,000 square foot house, but you need a house. Uh, you don't need a Lexus or Mercedes to drive, but you probably need a car. Um, You don't need to eat lobster and steak every day. Maybe you do. I don't know. But you just need food to eat, beans and rice, as my wife says. Uh, You don't have to have a two-week vacation to to Fiji, but it's nice to have a vacation, right? Uh, So God promises to meet your needs, not your wants. Now our screen is blank. (laughs) My screen is blank. Anyway, I've got notes here. I need to switch to my notes. All right, that's what we'll do. Technical difficulties, right? Uh, <coughs> so, we're talking about miracles. Um, and we asked what a miracle was through the series, and we said a miracle is not uh, beating the odds. A miracle, there we're back. Uh, a miracle is when the God of heaven intervenes here on earth. There's no other explanation. So, I'm going to give you a couple of principles of miracles of provision. Uh, I'm sure there's more, but we're going to cover a couple of them this morning. First one's this, when God guides, he always provides. So this is kind of a caveat too, but sometimes we go off half-cocked, right? We go off and do this thing that God doesn't want us to do, or we go off and do this thing God doesn't want us to do, and God doesn't necessarily have to provide for that. Uh, he doesn't have to provide for our dreams, he doesn't have to provide for our stupidity. All of us have probably made some stupid financial decisions. Well, God's not responsible for taking care of that, um, but he does provide great guides. And I was 17 when I accepted a call into the ministry to become a pastor. And I've been a pastor all these years uh, 40 years or so. <laughs> and I've been trying to find where God's going to lead us. I'll tell you a story about the most difficult year in a few minutes. Um, but he's always provided uh, food, clothing, shelter, transportation, and more. Not just, just, just those things. Um, So, if you're feeling that God's not meeting your need, it may be this case here. Maybe you took the provision and spent it on your wants. Let me say that again. (laughs) Maybe you took the provision and spent it on your wants. You bought something you couldn't afford. You bought something you shouldn't have. You did something, you went somewhere that you shouldn't have went. And so... Maybe that's the case because, see, this promise isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not what it is. It's God's promise to supply your need if you are being guided by Him. So I want to share a story with you. We're going to read some of the Scripture about a guy way back in the Old Testament. His name was Abraham, and he was like the first Jew. God called him to establish the Jewish nation, and he obeyed God, left his homeland, and traveled south. And to have be the father of a, a, a great nation, you need what? You need children. And so they're praying for children, him and his wife Sarah. And weeks go by, months go by, years go by, decades go by. Sarah's too old to have children. And they're still praying. Well, God said, well, he's going to make us the father of a great nation. Uh, We've got to have a kid, right? We've got to have a child. And so... This was a test of, of, of Abraham and Sarah's faith and also their obedience. Really important to you and I even today. test of their faith and their obedience. So God eventually supplies that need, promised child Isaac. Isaac starts to grow up. He's a child. Maybe he's 10 years old. We don't know exactly how old he, old he is. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham. Abraham, yeah, yes, God? He said, I want you to take your son Isaac, your promised son, And I want you to take him up to this mountain that's 50 miles away. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. And if you read the text, the next morning, not days, weeks, months later, the next morning, Abraham gets the wood together, gets his son, gets two servants, puts the wood on a donkey, and for three days they travel till they get to this destination. One of the fascinating things is this. When they get to the mountain, um, Abraham says to the two servants, you stay here. We're going up on the mountain to do the sacrifice. We're going up, and we'll be back. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you going to sacrifice Isaac? Well, yeah, but God said he's going to make him father of a great nation, so that's not my problem. (laughs) Uh, Maybe he's going to raise him from the dead. I don't know. All I'm responsible for is my obedience. My faith. And so we'll pick up the story there. They're walking up the mountain, and Isaac looks at his dad and says, Hey, dad, um, I know we do these sacrifices, but we always have a lamb to to sacrifice. Where's the lamb? And here's Isaac's, I mean, uh, Abraham's response to his son God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. Now, if I'm Isaac, I don't know about his faith. Maybe he trusts, he says, okay, Dad. When they arrived at the place, <clears throat> excuse me, where God had told him to go, Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood on it, then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar. Now, you don't even have to be a parent, but if you're a parent like I am, I can't imagine doing this. I, I, I can't imagine it. Can you imagine the, The I'm sure his hands were shaking, he was in such such. uh uh, stress, uh, this seems crazy, God, I, you told me to do this. I would have been doubting if God really told me to do this. But evidently, he was convinced that God wanted him to do this. So, he lays him on the altar. He picks up the knife, ready to kill his son as a sacrifice. Now, pagan nations did this back then. But this wasn't part of, of God's plan for the Jewish nation. And that way I see this is... Abraham needed to sacrifice his son in his heart. Just like you and I need to sacrifice some things in our heart. And this was a physical demonstration of that. Just like we're going to have baptism as a physical demonstration of faith and obedience in in a person's life. So the text goes on. At that moment, he's raised the knife. An instant from killing his son. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Again, yes, I'm listening. What do you want? What do you need? What do you want me to do? Here I am. That's basically what he's saying. And the angel says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know. He's speaking for God, of course, the angel. Now I know that you truly fear God. There's nothing that you put before me, not even your promised son. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Have you withheld things from God? I know I have. Abraham had the faith to give it all, be fully all in, as we say, 100% in. Here's the thing, is obedience always easy? Now, often it's not. That's where the faith comes in. That's where the testing comes in. See, God tests our faith today just like He tests Abraham. Not exactly like He does. I've never been told to sacrifice one of my children. So the text goes on, and Abraham looked up to th- saw a ram. He didn't have to wait. He didn't have to go searching. God provided just like that. Caught in the th- horns in a thicket. Of course, the ram had to be there. See, timing is often the miracle, (laughs) okay? The the ram had to be there then and had to be trapped then. So he took the ram and sacrificed it at a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh-Yirah. Some translations say um, Jehovah-Jireh. Both words mean what? The Lord will provide. We just say in our translation of the Bible... God, God, God. And in in the original, it has these other names for God. So, when Abraham worshipped the God that would provide in this case, and this foreshadows, of course, the greatest sacrifice of a son, God sacrificing his only son, promised son, Jesus, for you and for me to provide the sacrifice that you and I cannot make because we have sinned, we have fallen short, we can't offer the sacrifice, only God could do that, and Jesus did that for us, and we'll talk about that at the end. I think one of the issues is for us is this, we struggle when we focus on what we don't have, what we lack, instead of focusing on what God is providing. I think I think of that glass half full, glass half empty deal. Um, I don't know what type of person you are, but let's focus on what we do have. The glass is half full rather than focusing on what we don't have in our personal lives, our financial lives, our political <laughs> society, et cetera, et cetera. So let me tell you about our lives in 1990, 1991. Now at this point, my wife and I have been on the mission field, missionaries in Portugal. We came back. It's been about 15 months. We're doing deputation, which means we go into churches and talk about being missionaries because in the Baptist churches, uh, all the churches pull their money to pay for the missionaries but that's how our salaries got paid. So at that point, we, we, we were convinced that God didn't want us to go back to Portugal, which was really a struggle for us because we when we accepted that call seven years earlier, we thought we would be in Portugal the rest of our lives. So we really struggled with that decision. We didn't know what to do. We thought about transferring. That didn't work out to another country. So we resigned. So here we are. Um, Jared's just about turning three, Joshua's I think twelve, and Mike and, and Andrea in between. And I had no job. Don't know what God, and complicated by the fact I didn't know what God wanted me to do. So I sent some resumes out. Weeks went by, months went by. <laughs> uh, nothing. So I got the, had these odd jobs. My sister got me a job for the summer teaching carpentry, even though I'm not a uh, official carpenter. So God provided that Uh, groceries would show up, money would show up, Um, just amazing God's provision. Uh, Family in our church provided a house for us, the Dara's uh, provided a house. We had an old van that we kept driving, and kept going (laughs) through that year. And uh, some of you here probably, we're going to talk about this in the next next point, some of you provided that. And then a year later, this church hired me. But God provided during that year and that that's a season of waiting, really hard season of waiting. So, that's our story. So, if we pursue His will, and that's what we were doing, the, the best of our knowledge, uh, His provision will follow. And he, He's been, God's been so awesome to bless us in way by, beyond our needs. Another principle is this. I just made reference to it. When God guides, no, that's the one we just did. When God guides, He he always provides, and that's with our his, history of this church. God's always done that. Uh, the next principle is this: sometimes you're part of God's miraculous provision. So we have a few people that are around here still from back in nineteen ninety-one, <clears throat> um, and I'm guessing they were part of this provision that God made for us. <clears throat> now, isn't it awesome to think that you and I get to be the answer to? to people's prayers. So we were praying for God's provision back in 1991. And some of you here might have been the answer to that prayer. Isn't that awesome to think you and I can be? And as you give money to our church and we supply needs of, uh, we give money to Tabitha's Table to feed all families. We, give, we feed children. We get to be answer to those kids that are praying, God, give me food to eat over this weekend. That's how awesome that is. Now, we're going to go back to... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, that character called Paul, um, near the end of his missionary time, he had started churches and he would write letters to these churches and one of them we call Second Corinthians. And what happens was some of these churches he started in the Greek world, non-Jewish world, were more prosperous than the church back in Jerusalem, the Jewish church. And so Paul would collect money to take back. <laughs> uh, nowadays, we take money from the Jerusalem church to support the missionaries on the field. This was kind of just the opposite of that. So he was taking money from Corinthian church back to Jerusalem to actually feed people. So he's writing this letter. He says this. <clears throat> yes, you will be enriched in every way. Who? The people in the church in Corinth. Why? So you can just have more stuff? No, 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 no. See, we can be god like God, godly. So you can always, notice that word, always be generous. Are you generous at all? Are you generous Generous some of the time? If you're a Jesus follower, you and I should be generous all the time. Because we are enriched. God has blessed us, given us more than we need, not so we can hoard it, but that we can share it. Why? This is important. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, in this case, back to church in Jerusalem, they, those folks, will do what? Oh, thank you, church in Corinth. No, 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 no. And that's why we're generous. We're not generous so people thank, thank Smithsburg Valley. We're generous. Why? So they say, thank you, God. Like the young uh, lady that thanked God even though her neighbor bought the groceries, right? <clears throat> so you get to be part of the answering people's prayers for provision. Uh, And it doesn't always mean money or groceries. Uh, One of the things, especially now, people need is encouragement. (laughs) Saying, you know, we'll get through this, it'll be okay, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Words, cards, calls, texts, whatever it might be. So in every story of need, we said this earlier, there's a story of provision. We see it in Scripture. We see it, hopefully you see it in your life and the lives of the folks around you. And third principle, the last we're going to talk about today is this. God miraculously multiplies what is given to Him. Now, sometimes He just does it on His own, shows off. I think about the Israelites. I think it's 39 years. We always say 40. They're wandering around in the desert, and God feeds them. Well, panera bread from the sky. <laughs> um, called manna. Uh, now, all they do is I to go pick it up. Uh, the stories we looked at e- earlier, and notice the, notice the progression here. Uh, Jesus didn't feed the 5,000 men plus women and children until what? The boy offered his lunch. He was part. God multiplied it. Uh, Elisha, he didn't just bring food out of nowhere. She had olive oil. He multiplied it so that she had enough to feed her family. And then Isaac, his sacrifice. God provided miraculously uh, this this ram. uh, After Isaac, uh, Abraham was willing to sacrifice. So the offering comes first, then the multiplication comes. Next slide, please. They're, not, they're gone again. <laughs> Sometimes God invites you to be part of his miracle. In fact, often that happens, I believe. Now, we'll talk about something here. I want to clarify at the beginning. We do not teach, we do not believe what was called prosperity gospel. That, hey, if you put $100 in the offering plate this morning, you have a clunker of a car out there. When you get out there, it's going to be a Mercedes. All right, we don't, we don't teach that. There's some te- churches that teach that thing, that kind of thing. We don't do that. But we do teach a principle, a scriptural principle of sowing and reaping. And so here in that same letter, actually in that same chapter, Paul is addressing this topic. He says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. Okay? Uh, we got a farmer here this morning. All right. Plant seeds, plant corn, whatever. Where did corn come from? Well, God provided that. Uh, the farmer needs to be smart enough to do what? To sow it and do whatever, taking care of it. Then to harvest the wheat, the wheat makes the bread. So God provided it all, correct? The seed that became the wheat that became the bread. The bread is a lot more than the original wheat seeds. So it multiplied. So, in the same way, He will provide an increase. Or multiplication, your resources, produce a great harvest again. Why? <laughs> what is this for? To us to be generous. So, to multiply our generosity. There's a concept in the Bible called a tithe. Well, it's a tithe. Well, sometimes we say it this way, it's giving God 10%. Well, no, no, it's giving God all of it, but giving God the first 10%. So, this is a, a, a multiplying faith test, tithing is, and I, some of you folks do it, some of you folks don't, but that God, even in the Bible, in Malachi, it says, God says, the only place God tells us to test Him is with our money, and that's easy to understand, because that's the center of our lives, isn't it? So, God wants the next slide, God wants to show off in your life, and one of the ways He wants to show off in your life is, you, is that you trust Him financially. And if you hit one of those dry spells, those of us have been Jesus followers for a while, we hit dry spells. And one of those dry spells is when you financially hold back and you're not generous. And let me explain this. Our relationship with God is a, is a relationship. And if I didn't trust my wife with our finances, would there be a wall in our relationship? And, I, and we did because I didn't when we first got married. So, if you, you're in a dry spell, I'm just, I'm just suggesting this might be the reason. Now let me say, ask you a simple question. Does God need your 10%? No. God God is the universe. Does our church need it? No, our church doesn't need it. Uh, we love to have it and love to use it in God's ministry, but we don't need it. Um, our folks have been so generous that our church at this time has no debt. <laughs> uh, we're operating in the black. Um, we have a smaller budget than we used to have. I'll tell you about something neat that happened. I just got handed last week a $600 check to, to use our far, a farmer back here to use our land. Just God gave us $600. and land has been there. we owned it for 10 years and never gotten anything from it. So God will provide. <clears throat> so why give? Because this is the way that we show that we trust God. It is our laying Isaac on the altar. So let me end end with this kind of um, comparison of fear and faith, fear and faith. First, fear asks, what if I run out? You know, I I got enough now, but, you know, I don't know about next week. I I might run out. Faith says, what do I have to give? If I've got more than I need now, who needs it? Who can I give it to? Where can I give it? Fear says, I can't afford to die. I love this one tell people you can't afford not to because you're shutting off that relationship. You're shutting off that communication. You're, making a, you're putting up a wall in your relationship with God. Faith says 90% with God's blessing goes farther than 100% without. And I know math doesn't work out, but it does. Let me, let me tr- explain this to you. I was talking to one of our members this week. And we're talking about driving around old clunker of cars. You know, They shouldn't last this long, but they do. And then sometimes you get a newer car and it breaks down, transmission goes up and you have to buy a new one or, or, or whatever. See, see, God owns the universe. He has no problem supplying your needs and, and more. So that 10%, I've been doing this since I was a kid. Maybe that's why it's been easy for me. Uh, that year, I had no job. You think we tied that year? Absolutely. Not even a question. So, fear says I can't do it. Faith says, Can't not do it. Fear says, I don't have enough. I don't have enough, whatever. I don't have enough food. I said in the first service, we have enough food in our house, we wouldn't have to buy anything for a month, (laughs) and we'd still have food to eat. And most of you probably are in the same situation. Uh, Faith says, My God is more than enough. So our scripture, our basic scripture, is in Philippians. It's a promise. I pray that you believe it. You can claim it for yourself. My God liberally supplies, fills up until full every need I have because it's according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I want you to thank you and I want all of you to thank God for His provision that He's had for this church. This church is uh, 30 years old, 31 years old I guess. Yeah, 31 years old. Let me end with this. What is your biggest need? In fact, I wrote it on the outline this way. Ultimately, what is the only thing we need God to provide for us? Meaning this. There's a lot of people that aren't Jesus followers. They're atheists. They have food, clothing, transportation, housing. Uh, They have breath to breathe. They have their lifespan, whatever it might be. So what is ultimately the only thing that we need God to support? provide that nobody else can provide. Nobody can provide for themselves. And that's forgiveness for sin, a relationship with God that lasts into eternity. To give us a clear conscience, guilt and shame for all the stuff we did that we shouldn't have done or stuff we didn't do that we should have done. Um, we have to confess that and say, okay, God, I come to you with nothing except for my guilt and shame. I understand that your son Jesus suffered and died for me, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day to conquer death. Death had to be conquered. I couldn't do it. I am destined for eternity separated from you, God. By faith, I accept this gift of forgiveness and this relationship with you and that I, that you will provide for all my needs in this life and uh, on into eternity. So, as I close this morning, I want to pray for any of you that have never done that. Because that's the one needed you, no one can provide for themselves. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your great provision. Physical provision, life, breath, food, shelter, transportation, all those things. And most of us have more, way more than we need, so you uh, bless us. And I pray we're generous people. Uh, hilariously, I didn't read that passage, but in that, when he, Paul was writing to Corinthians talking about being hilarious in our giving. So don't give until it hurts, we give until it feels so good that we laugh. God, that's the way you've been to us. That's how generous you are to us. If we ever doubt that, the fact that you would sacrifice your only son because you love us, provide our greatest need, the need that we can't provide for ourselves. Thank you, God. I pray for anyone that needs it, accept that gift this morning, that they would step across the line, they would understand their need, they would want to be forgiven, they would want to have clear conscience, they want to have peace and fulfillment in their life. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus. And He will change you, transform you. And we'll, we've seen that, and we'll see it in the testimony of the folks being baptized. Most of us that are, are believers, God, we, st- we say thank you, thank you, thank you for your great provision. In your name we pray, amen.